Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm uh, Scott Hicks. I'm the CEO of uh, Strategic Resources, which is a Lumina Group company. Uh, we're a vanadium-focused company uh, working in Tier 1 jurisdictions. Our main asset right now is a brownfields project called Mustavara in Finland uh, that used to produce in the 70s and 80s. And we're working it towards uh, production again. And we think it's an excellent way to play the vanadium market uh, from the junior developer's side. Brilliant. Scott, welcome. Uh, first time we've spoken. I think first time we've met. So um, I'm interested to hear this story. But you mentioned a, a few things there, which I'd like a bit more background on. So Lumina Group, you mentioned. So who are they? Sure. So the group was put together in 2003 by Ross Beattie. And the original plan was a roll up in different sectors that you know we thought were interesting. So at that time, they were rolling up copper assets. So they acquired about 10 assets around the world that were call them more marginal copper assets at the time. Um, copper was trading around 85 cents a pound. Uh, all these assets probably needed around $2 a pound to come in. Um, in the end, that resulted in uh, six public uh, companies, sorry, five public companies and one private company being sold uh, onto large majors. So the group really has a history of advancing, developing, and then selling these assets onto larger companies that are wanting to build them. And then if you fast forward to 20, uh, call it 13, 2014 timeline, Ross and the team um, were focused on doing something similar in gold. Gold was trading around $1,100. You know, Ross had the view that it was extremely undervalued. And then we also had a view that Ecuador was going to uh, turn around at that time. So we started rolling up all these Ecuadorian assets. So today, um, the group runs three public companies. Strategic is one of them, which we're talking about today. Uh, we also have Lumina Gold, which is about a $300 million market cap company with a 17 million ounce gold project in Ecuador. And we have Luminex Resources, which is... Uh, about a 5 million ounce uh, gold project in Ecuador and three copper projects, which are getting drilled this year. So that all has fallen out of the kind of original Ecuador and gold roll-up strategy. So already that's been spun out into one additional public company. So fast forward to strategic, you know, we were looking to uh, roll up vanadium assets. Uh, we thought it was a very interesting market for a variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, Mustavara was kind of the first advanced project we put into it. We also have a second project in Finland called Sila Selka, which had been drilled previously, but didn't have a resource or an economic study on it. So, you know, the company, it's, it's still early days and We've obviously continued to look for M&A in the space, um, but uh, we're pretty happy to pick up Mustavara at basically the bottom of the market. So explain to me, I interviewed Ross last year and he said, you know, this is going to be his last hurrah was going to be Ecuador and then he's done. Is, is, he, is he done is he, is he, or is he carrying on mining because you, you seem to be quite busy? Yeah, I don't think Ross is ever going to be done. Um, you know, I think so Equinox is obviously, you know, his primary focus right now. And he's really obviously driven, you know, incredible growth and value in that company. And they're working on building a lot of mines. Um, we've always been more of his development arm. Uh, the group typically hasn't focused on production assets. Um, really just, you know, these, these earlier stage development assets where we can add value and look to monetize them versus say Pan American or Equinox, where he's obviously trying to drive a, a production story. 
Right. Okay. So, you, and so Luminate Group is, is a bit more than Ross Beatty, is it? Or is it right? Him? Exactly. Is it just him? So, uh, yeah. I mean, he's the founder, but he brought in uh, Marshall Koval in two thousand three, who's um, really heads up all the the technical work in the group as far as you know engineering studies, economic studies go. And then Leo Hathaway, who heads up the geology. So, I mean, these guys have been working with him for, you know, almost 20 years now. Um, so very, uh, very experienced team and working together. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit newer. I came in 2017. So uh, the, the new guy on the team at kind of about five years now. Right. Okay. Okay. So that gives us a sense of the, the, the people involved and experience involved in this. Why an RF pick for Nadium as a sector to get into that, that no one understands it, knows it, or, or seemingly cares about it at the moment, do they? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it's interesting. You're right. I would say that there isn't a lot of focus on it right now, despite prices, you know, going up probably 35% here in the last month. Um, so, you know, I think it is something that people should pivot back to and be aware of now that we're coming out of this, you know, um, interesting time with COVID and, and challenges and obviously the steel and, uh, and the construction sector, which is the primary use for the market. But what, what drew us to it was these potential for battery growth really there. Um, there's this, uh, technology called vanadium flow batteries. They've been around for a long time. There's a lot of them in the field. They're, they're quite proven technology. Um, but really has never scaled properly. Um, you know, we can get into that a bit. Um, but, you know, we thought if you get a bit of growth in this small market, I mean, vanadium is only about a hundred thousand ton a year market, right? So if you can get, you know, that incremental growth out of these batteries, there's quite a bit of potential on the, on the price side for that. And then, you know, in the background, you've got your kind of base level economic growth that's driving it, you know, your two, 3% a year GDP, whatever you want to call it, that's going to keep you know, increasing the size of the market over time. And then the other thing, if people are looking at a vanadium chart, they should be aware of, because it does look quite volatile. If you go back a couple of years, you saw the crazy spike, um, you know, in ferro vanadium, we were up above $100 a kilogram. That was really focused around China increasing their uh, rebar strength standards. So if you have about a ton of steel, if you add one kilogram of vanadium, it increases the strength of the steel about 85%. So it's mainly used for steel strengthening. Um, as China was improving their construction standards, you know, that was going to get integrated. So all the speculators kind of moved in and drove the price up because they thought there was going to be this huge increase of demand in, in vanadium. Now, what's happened since is it's, it's uh, taken a bit longer for, I think, them to enforce those standards in China. But that's kind of the context for the market in the last three years and, and the, some of the price moves you've seen. Okay, so um, talk to me. What is a $10 million company going to do about that? You're talking about the, you know, what's happening in the market, VRFBs, et cetera. You, you, you're nowhere near being able to um, compete there either, you know, technically, and I don't think the market's that mature. So where are you hoping to sell into? Where's the money coming from to actually build this company uh, to allow you to even have those sorts of conversations? Sure. So, I mean, what we wanted to do this year was really put out a base case for the asset to help people understand, you know, what does it mean that you have this brownfield asset? Um, what does that look like? So we put out a smelter case, um, which was, you know, the way the asset had always been thought about and the way it used to produce, which was building a smelter in Finland. Um, and, you know, Finland's got a lot of great advantages. You've got carbon-free power, you know, you've got 
cheap so cheap hydro there you have access to ports um obviously it's uh you know an, an eu country so uh there's there's a lot of benefits there but um coming back to the asset the smelter case is really meant to be call it your worst case scenario so you know that outlined a 600 million euro uh, CapEx projects that, you know, at today's prices, so the study we use $32 uh, ferro vanadium. Today we're sitting around $40 ferro vanadium. So today, you know, it's about a 400 million euro MPV project, right? Um, now we know that that's not the sexiest thing for people. So we're working on really dropping the CapEx and coming at the project a different way right now. And what we're doing is looking at leaching uh, the concentrate with a sulfuric acid leach. And we're doing a joint testing program with a company called Vanadium Corp, which is also a public company on the TSX. Right. Which still puts you a long, a long way from showing people how this thing gets financed. If, if people don't, you know, doing some looking at some basic numbers there. And plus 35% of the gains in the price have come in the last month, you just told us earlier. So how do you go about building not just the case for it, but how do you go about raising money? Just because you're the Lumina Group, you had some previous success, people are still going to look at this and go, the numbers are so far off here. Why on earth yeah. should we put our money into this thing? So how, how do you go about laying out that case? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to come at it from, from both ends. So, I mean, on the CapEx side, we're going to try to reduce it with this, with this leaching case and get it into something more reasonable and financeable. And then on the other side, you know, I think a lot of people perhaps don't realize you know, how much work has gone into this project previously. So for instance, the, the mine site is permitted. You've got, um, you know, the actual pit and concentrator that will be built at the mine site are permitted. The smelter isn't permitted uh, on the coast, but the city has done the land use planning for it. So there's a lot of things in place there already. Um, so what we're doing right now on the permit side is we're working to transfer those to strategic and we're working to extend them. So I think that'll demonstrate that, you know, there's that, that doability for the project. And then obviously, you know, continue to advance this thing to a PFS. We're in a nice spot because usually companies to, you know, take it to a PFS or feasibility would have to do a ton of infill drilling. We don't have to do that. This, uh, you know, about 65% of our resources are already in measured and indicated. Almost our entire mine plan we used in the PEA is in measured and indicated. So, I mean, this thing has been de-risked and it's worked before. So there's a lot of things you usually see in mining that would be high risk factors that aren't the case for this asset. But but let's, let's, let's come back to the PEA. But even if you were successful and halved the capex, it's still way out of the realms of a $10 million market cap company, right? And your share price is, you know, not reflected your optimism for this. So you've got to, sure. you've got to say, you've got to, you've got a heck of a job because you've got to say, hey, Vanadium's coming back. Yep. The market's there, the demand's there. Hey, we can access the money we need to move this thing through to a PFS. And at that point, you know, we'll be slightly firmer on the economics of this thing. And the demand will be there to um, make make any potential funders comfortable um, with this thing. Because I don't know, how, how, how do you do it? We're going to have contracts in place? We're going to, I mean... Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of availability for debt financing. I think there's a lot of availability for potential ESG funding if you're looking at the battery side. Um, obviously, most of, for reference, most of the world's production is in China and Russia. I think in a lot of these critical metals, and vanadium is a critical metal, um, you're seeing a rotation for the supply chain. People want this stuff to be made in North America, be made in Europe. 
So, you know, I think down the road here, we're talking a couple of years, obviously, you know, people are going to want hubs of production in Europe, in North America. And this is exactly the type of asset that's going to tick those boxes, right? Okay, but there's a, there's a, there's a big producer, much more advanced down in South Africa. He's able to have these conversations. They're, they're, you know, they've looked at the whole chain where they can insert themselves. They are involved with the RFB batteries and partners. They are producing. They, they do have the facilities. They're whatever they are, three hundred million dollar company, three hundred million pound company. So I should say. Yep. I'm I'm interested in it. How do you go from here to there? Finance it What's, and deliver it because you know it's all well and good. You're talking yeah. about the ESG component and VRFB batteries, but it's it, it's so far away from that. You could stick to the the basics first, which is how do you get this thing producing, and you know how do you get it producing economically, don't you? Yeah, I mean historically the group would have you know advanced it to the PFS feasibility stage, and we would have gone to I think you're referencing Bushfeld. I mean, there's, so there's two primary producers in the space: there's Bushfeld, there's Largo. Um, Largo's in Brazil, Bushfeld's in South Africa. I mean, typically the group would have gone to a company like that and, and sold them the asset. And, you know, I think that's probably a, a long-term path for the company. Um, you know, if it wasn't possible for us ourselves to get it into production is, is look to supply those guys. And, you know, both of them are taking a different approach to growing in the battery space. I'd say Largo's gone full on hands on, they're going to build their own batteries, you know, they're going to vertically integrate, they're going to use a leasing model to reduce the cost of the batteries for people. Um, you know, if you look at some of the research that just came out after the battery day, you know, that people think this is adding, you know, $500 million of value to their billion dollar business. So this is definitely an area of growth that research and, you know, the, the finance community is starting to focus on. You're seeing them dual list in the States. I mean, there's going to be more attention on the space for sure. Um, you know, Bushfeld has taken a totally different approach. They're investing in battery companies to try to get those companies to scale. And then they're really working on their end products to feed into the batteries, which is this vanadium electrolyte um, that goes into the batteries. Yeah. So, so coming, same, same question then, really. I'll ask it a different way. But how do you go from 10 million bucks to, you know, to that kind of scale and over what time have you guys got the energy to do that? Because you've got much bigger, more exciting projects out there. Or is this, are you setting this up for someone to come and take it, take it out because it's, you've got a, you know, a reasonable resource there. I mean, what, what's your plan? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, point to the, the history where, you know, we, you look at these things and, and I know every investor and in this listening to this has different time horizons, but, um, you, you know, the group is, typically taken five to seven years from kind of start to get to the end of selling an asset. And obviously this one's a little bit further along the curve as far as the, the risk, but you know, it, it will take a couple of years to get the permit shifted, uh, to get the studies advanced and to really demonstrate that the asset can work. Um, but to have this type of resource scale, you know, 150 million tons uh, uh, that's been drilled out um, on a brownfield asset, if we do see the move in vanadium prices that we think we will see and continue to have these supports, but even frankly, in and around these levels today, I mean, it's a very exciting asset to have only picked up for, for the price we picked it up on. I mean, at, uh, you know, kind of 150,000 euros that we bought at the absolute bottom of the market out of bankruptcy. I mean, this is the sort of uh, deal that our group has done. You know, if you look at Congreos and Lumina Gold, you know, we, we acquired that asset for, for $5 million and now it's a $300 million company as we progressed it through this, this risk de-risking profile, right? 
So how much of the of the company do you normally hold at this stage? Because between Ross and the Lumina Group Management Team, you've got less than 20%. Is that normal? Right. Yeah. I, you know, in Lumina and Luminex, it's a bit higher. Luminex is about 26%. Lumina is about 30 So Ross usually sits around 20 um, You know, he came in for 10% of the last financing. Um, and I'd expect management to kind of hold around that 20 to 25% level, which is pretty typical across the companies. Oh, then, you know, if you take- right. But at the moment, it's, it says in your, your presentation, it's 11% for the management team and 8.7% for Ross Beattie. So yeah. you, you, you'd hold that going forward. You kind of follow Yeah, around that. 20. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Interesting. And, you know, if you, and then if you kind of go a little bit further out, I mean, there's this group of investors collectively that have been following the group for, you know, 20 years uh, that go into pretty much every placement. So, I mean, when we pick up the phone, we typically know where, you know, 50 cents of every dollar we raise is coming from before, well, before we pick up the phone. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nice from that perspective. Um, the challenge the group has is we have these great investors that always want to come in on the placements. We do need to do a better job, I'd say, of generating, you know, on-market support and, and obviously getting people focused on these companies, um, especially as there, some of these things are a bit niche. I know Vanadium's a bit niche. Obviously, when we went to Ecuador at the time, that was a new concept for people too, right? So, you know, we need to do a better job of, of educating people, which is uh, part of the reason I'm out here today. Yeah, okay. So let, let's come back. So what, what did you buy? It was last July you made the acquisition completed. Is that right? Right. right. You yeah. said 150 bucks. 150,000 euros. Yeah. Right. Okay. So 150 bucks on this thing. And what did you actually pick up? What, what was included in that? Sure. So... Uh, we did it the way we structured the deal. We basically restaked all those reservations at the time. So for those familiar with the finish system, that kind of restart at the clock gives you about 15 years on the, on the title. So that's important because the existing claims that these guys have were a bit long in the tooth. So we were able to restake, restart the clock there. We got a 150 million ton resource out of that basically that we brought over to 43101 in September of last year. Um, we got uh, all the IP around it. So they've obviously done a lot of study work historically. So we were able to get that. And there's about 60 tons of concentrates sitting in storage um, from the past production. And the reason that's important, Matt, is all this test work we're doing right now, we can use that concentrate that's sitting there to do that test work on the, on the leaching side I was speaking about earlier. Right. So how much money did you raise? Um, the last raise was about two and a half million. So right. So, so again, so talk me through what, what you're doing. Because just in terms of what the, the best use of money, because the down at this end compared to some of your projects down at this end, every buck counts. So what are you, what are you directing that at, and, and 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 to what end? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good question. So so the test work we think is is crucial. So you know we're spending uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of eighty to hundred thousand dollars Canadian on that test work right now. We also have a- so Doing do, uh, do what, again to, for, for, to, again, to what end? You're testing it to do what? What, what, what do you yeah, get no, out of it? Sorry, that's a good point. So um, the current end products are, uh, out of the smelter case I was talking about, is ferrovanadium and pig iron. Um, we're looking at, and you, what you, you basically kind of waste the titanium that's in the deposit. So if you look at this leaching side, 
what you'll get is a vanadium product that's more suited for batteries. Um, so instead of ferro vanadium, you know, you'll get, you'll get a V205 product out of it. So that's more suited for the batteries. Still can be used in the steel industry, but, but it could, you know, it's more amenable to, to battery use. Um, and you'll get a high purity iron and you'll get a titanium revenue stream, which you don't get with the smelter case. So you're hoping for similar to lower op costs, you're hoping for lower CapEx costs, and you're getting an additional revenue stream out of, out of that potential leaching scenario. So, you know, we think that really would add a ton of value to the asset and give it a really a different path to production. And I mean, obviously, if you think about a smelter, not only is it expensive, it's kind of against the trend of the way the world's going. Um, you know, people want lower carbon, lower impact type projects and, and leaching would be a much lower carbon way to go for processing these metals versus, versus smelting. Great. So you spent 80 to 100,000 uh, bucks on the task work. What else? What's next? So I mean, obviously we just spent a bunch of money to finish the PEA and, and, you know, for people to understand that, you know, if you're saying, well, why'd you do a smelter PEA if you're going to pursue this, this leaching case, everything at the actual mine site would remain the same. So the mine plan that's there, the concentrator that's there, um, you know, those would say the same. So it's really the back end processing that would change. Now, now important thing for your listeners to realize when you're looking at these vanadium assets, um, upgrading is usually a very crucial part of it. So one of Musavar's best qualities is that the in situ grade in the ground of vanadium is about 0.3% V205. You, it's all sitting in magnetite. So when you do a magnetic separation, it goes into a concentrate and then you process that concentrate. So obviously the less material you can get with a higher vanadium grade in the concentrate, the better off you're going to be on the processing. So at Mustavar, that's about a seven to one ratio. So you go from 0.3% in the ground to 1.7% in the con, and that's an excellent upgrade factor. If you look across the world, you know, that, that would put you in a similar range to the South, uh, South African producers you were talking about earlier for con grade. They're kind of 1.7 to 2% on the, on the B205 con grades. How much was that? How much did you spend on the PEA? Oh, probably about uh, 300000 Okay. And then what we're looking at on the second asset is a drill program in Q3. Not a huge drill program. We're just going to drill about 1,000 meters. And this ties into what I was just talking about. That's so we have fresh material to do the magnetic metallurgical test work to see what the upgrade factor is there. So the asset's been historically drilled. This is Silicelka I'm talking about now. Um, we know there's vanadium grade there. It's actually twice the grade of Mustavara. So now we just need to understand what the upgrade factor looks like. And then if it looks good, then you would go in and drill off the tonnage and get to a bigger resource to try to get to a place where you could support a concentrator similar to what I just talked about at Mustavara. And then, you know, whatever your downstream processing is, whether it's a smelter or whether it's leaching, um, then you could have potentially a hub and spoke model where you've got all these different assets around Scandinavia with respective concentrators and then a central processing plant. Okay. Okay. And so when's that drill program kick off? I mean, it's a thousand meters. I mean, it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's going to give you what you need. Yeah, exactly. So that's in September, you know, it's, it's going to be a bit of infill drilling off the past drilling. Um, it's, they're not deep holes. And the thing that your investors should understand about these deposits is they're incredibly consistent. So for instance, when we previously drilled a project uh, called Akinvara, I mean, across 
hundreds and hundreds of meters. The grade variance is, you know, 0.01%. It's, it's incredibly consistent mineralization um, in, this, in these VTM formations. So you can do quite wide drill spacing and it's not overly deep uh, mineralization. So that's why the part of the reason why the meterage is small. You know, I think to get this into a 43101 resource, you'd have to drill about 3,500 meters to get an initial resource at that asset. Okay. Okay. And so, what, what, so it's shallow. Are you, are you basically validating the data that you bought? Are you twinning holes, or I mean, or is it proper um, so infill? It, it, it's proper. It's it's going to be both. It's going to be a bit of infill and then also a twinning. But again, this is the second asset. So this this had a historic resource on it, and you know this is this is not. Uh, this is an urn with a group called Orion um, out of uh, out of Finland. That's a gold exploration company there. Yeah, we know them. We know them. Okay. But this, I mean, so that that asset, I was getting zero value in the portfolio right now, despite you know being you know a higher grade vanadium asset that's been that's been drilled previously. So, you know, I, I obviously our focus is going to be on Mustabara, but we want to get that work done as well, so that we can validate whether that asset works from a metallurgical perspective. Well, I guess the problem is not not many, not much of what you've got is getting valued at the moment, and it's a case of you having to try and explain why it should be or how what you're going to do to ensure that it will be. And that, that's what that's what I'm trying to that's what I'm trying to get at. So, okay, let's let's get back to Mr. Vara then specifically. So, you didn't pay much for it, which is really good news. Um, how, how are you going to show the market? How you approach, you know, sorry, the investor market. How you're going to, uh, you know, insert yourself into these, you know, supply side of things because you're talking about, you know, American ecosystems, critical minerals, same in Europe, same in Asia, etc. Are you? How do you intend to insert yourself into the European ecosystem? Where's the demand coming from? I mean, there, there's lots of demand for both products right now. The high purity iron that comes out of this mine, you know, there's lots who, of demand. Who buys for that. that? Who buys that? Is that going to China or is that going to Europe? Yeah, it would go into Europe and North America primarily okay. um, as they're looking to increase the. Because the problem is when you do a lot of steel recycling, you get impurities in it. So you need to inter- introduce, you know, new high quality pig iron. So that's half of it. Um, and then the vanadium, you know, that, that would be a global market for that. Um, you could sell it to the battery people. You could sell it to the steel industry. Um, so that could get sold into, into Europe, into Russia, into China. Which battery people? I mean, VRFBs, are, there's no sort of agreed on technology yet. That people are still finding their way around. So there's not exactly a high demand. So keep talking about not, yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. It's it's only it's only two percent of the market right now on a hundred thousand ton market. So but you know, there's lots of groups working on this. So Robert Friedland has VRB, they're building large scale grid scale batteries in China. There's a public company out of the UK called Infinity Energy Systems that uh, used to be Red T, just acquired Avalon, which has actually some production facilities just where I'm sitting in Vancouver, Canada right now. Um, so if you look at those guys, they're starting to you know, get contracts, deploy systems for kind of half megawatt, megawatt systems. Largo, you know, they're going to be growing their production to, to gigawatt. And, and obviously they have a producing mine to source their vanadium for now. But longer term, if the business grows, they're going to need secondary sources of vanadium down the line. So, you know, it's it, it is uh, it's going to be a game of patience on the on the battery side to see that market grow for sure. But you're starting to see all the pieces come together for that. 
So you, talk to me about the team. What, what's your role in the company? CEO. And, you know, my, I, I'd say if you think about the five guys that I work with every day, myself included, you know, we all kind of do the same roles in each company. So, I mean, on the PEA, Marshall would have been super hands-on. The drill program, that's Leo Hathaway. Lyle Broaden, who's there, you know, does the legal work across all the companies. I do the investor and financing side. And obviously, you know, Ross is there. Um, in two roles, you know, really one strategy and two, obviously, financial backing. He's not looking at this at the moment, is he? It's way too small for him. <laughs> I mean, you know, he, he he knows how these things get built. I mean, he's he's had a lot of small market cap companies that have grown over time and, and he understands option value. I mean, like I said on the copper thing, if you go back, all those assets were picked up for, for nothing um, and turned into basically, you know, a billion and a half dollars across all the companies that got sold. So, you know, it, he understands the resource curve and, and the value and de-risking these things. But you guys, you guys have picked this up for a steal and you're going to move it along a little bit. You're going to sell it. This isn't where you guys, you do gold and copper. That's what you do, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're opportunists and, you know, it's mining is mining is mining. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we saw all the benefits of this asset, you know, it's brownfields is worth a lot in mining because you know, the mineralization's there, you know, the asset works, um, you know, you got a huge resource. So, you know, we all saw that in this asset. Um, and, you know, we were excited about the vanadium space. Um, and, and more broadly, I mean, the electric, uh, the electric energy space. I mean, I don't, We've looked at other assets for this company. We're going to continue to look at things to build it. You know, this isn't the, the end for this kind of roll-up strategy, right? So, you know, I think people also get an option on any MA, any deals we're looking at in the future, not just the assets we have now, right? Right. But what, what size do you build this to before you, you flip it on, into something, into, some, into someone else? Yeah, I mean, we don't usually think about size we usually think about stage um is how we characterize it so if you go back you know some of the assets got sold at resource stage some got sold at pea some got sold at feasibility so i mean the group has the capability to take it through the whole curve if we need to um but you know we're also obviously waiting for cycles and unopportune times to, to do that so it's a combination of stage and de-risking enough that people believe in the technical work and the project and then also trying to hit cycles to, to get out, obviously, at higher values. But that's what I'm trying to get at, Scott, and I, I, want, I want an honest conversation about it, which is like, you guys know how to make money. You've created value elsewhere. You, you're opportunists, but this isn't a space that you're, you know, you've got a track record with vanadium, right? And it's a market's been spiky. Last, you know, three, four years, price have been volatile, to put it mildly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, we, it, we, it could damage a lot of companies, could damage a lot of wealth creation, but you've walked into this with a plan. I just want to know what, if I come and invest in your company, what am I, what ride am I coming along for? We're going to get this thing rocking through the PFS and then we'll flip it out. Everyone will make some money. That's all good news. Is that, is that the plan? That would certainly be the base case plan for the group. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the one comment I'd say that Ross made, which is, I think, a fair point is, it is a unique space in the sense there is only two primary producers. So if there was a path to production, there's certainly space for more people in the market. And, you know, it is interesting. So I, plan A would be develop and sell. But plan B is interesting because, you know, there just isn't a lot of primary producers in the space. And, and one thing that maybe people might not appreciate about the market is 
you know, 60, 70% of the production is, is coming out of the steel world. So unless steel is growing, you know, a ton, you're not getting any extra vanadium production. So any incremental demand needs to come from primary sources. And there's not a lot of primary sources out there right now. I mean, as we talked about, there's only two in the Western world that trade. And then Glencore has, you know, an asset in, in South Africa. But the rest really comes out of Russia and China. So you're seeing the Aussies work a lot in, in Western Australia. And then in Eastern Australia, they're also working on some shale deposits. But, you know, uh, and then there's big ones in Canada and big ones in Europe. But the, the market, you know, there's not a lot of primary ones out there. So this asset is unique in the sense that it's so far along and it has produced before and it's in a good jurisdiction. So, you know. We're happy with where we're situated. Okay, well, but, but that's great. So, to your point, though, not not happy with the valuation. To your point, well, well, of course not. Um, but okay, so but that's the bet. That the bet is there's not enough players producing at the moment, and the ones that are are in a similar position to you guys in the sense that they don't know how to make their way forward when the market has been so erratic of recent years. I'm just trying to say, you know, with Lumina Group, just being part of Lumina Group. Help it. I get the answer is, I guess, a big fat yes. Um, but how ambitious are you guys going to be on this one? Because you've got 20% management, like two million bucks effectively of a, of a 10 million dollar company here. Are you going to be more supportive to get this thing going? Or were you just happy at the current levels? No, I mean, we continue to, you know, we'll continue to build it up as so. I mean, for Lumina Gold, for instance, the first financing and the whole acquisition of Congreos was $5 million, right? And some management would have around 30%, maybe a bit more than that initial financing. But the group's basically kept pro rata all the way along, you know, despite the fact we've raised probably $80 million of capital for that company since then, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll keep investing at every stage and, and you know, we want to take it to, to the finish line for whatever that is, you know, whether it's a sale or or potentially building an asset down the road. Okay, Scott, well, like, I appreciate you coming in and uh, telling us the story. This early days, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to hear that you guys will be supporting this, um, you know, will follow your money and you will follow, the, you know, your, your strategies uh, that you've employed elsewhere in the Lumina Group. So I appreciate it. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on, okay? Yeah, for sure. So I just encourage, you know, all the listeners today to, to watch for the news on that leaching results. It's going to come out probably in the next month's time. And, you know, the ticker is, is SR on the TSX Venture Exchange. So, you know, add it to your watch list, keep an eye on it. And we appreciate uh, you taking the time to listen today. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.